0: Think of this show in this way. Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern had a child, and that child grew up to have a podcast about building science. This is the opposite of that. Here's Bill Spohn. Welcome back to the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where it's our goal to help create more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping the two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and buildings they work in you're in HVAC or Home Performance or IAQ or follow the electrification movement and you haven't heard of Nate Adams, then you can do yourself some good to listen to this podcast or at least follow some of the links in the show notes. We had a very interesting conversation. Nate did a ton of preparation before he came onto the podcast. He's a thinker really beyond compare to a lot of people that I know. He's got strong opinions, but you got to respect them. So, why don't you listen into this podcast and decide for yourself how Nate can shape or change the way you think about some of these topics? Two little thought bombs to follow through this conversation are pattern recognition and the hero versus guide conundrum. And Nate is constantly morphing the way he approaches things, which is very interesting a very interesting way to approach sometimes the mundane or the very mechanical work we do. He does it in a very thoughtful process. So please, listen in a little bit and see what you can learn from our conversation together. Nate Adams, talking about pattern recognition and the Hero versus Guide conundrum. Today's podcast, I have an old friend, he's actually younger than me, but I have a friend... (laughs) who's known for quite a while,
1: and he's been on the podcast before. Go ahead, introduce
0: yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. I'm Nate Adams, oftentimes known as Nate the House Whisperer and now CEO of HVAC 2.0. So it's Bill and I will be talking about in part an update, but really just storytelling is what I was thinking about of the all the pattern recognition that we've had to do as Fundamentally, what our goal has been for a decade is how do we make truly comfortable, truly healthy homes available to anyone who would like one? And that has been a far more difficult path than I think any of us might have expected when we started the journey. Okay. So you just gave me a cue there to say,
0: how did you start this journey? And go back, go back a little ways.
1: <laughs> right, so, When you were a young lad- yeah. Back when I was a young man, I don't feel nearly as young at 44. That's for sure. I used to be the punk in all this and I'm now the thoroughly middle-aged and sometimes, well, I've got the gray hair to go with it and everything too. But yeah, all this started years ago when, well, actually I worked for an insulation. Manufacturer selling fiberglass insulation to contractors, and started learning all this stuff, and started to learn about building science. And then my job disappeared with the housing crisis in early '09, and started insulation contracting. Let me pause you right there. What
0: did you think when you first got introduced to building science? At that point, can you remember? Did you believe that this is BS, or it's too hard, or can you recall your reaction?
1: No, it was fascination, which I think is the reaction of a whole lot of people. My favorite class in high school was probably basic chemistry. So my sophomore year of high school, I just really, really liked that. I like science. I like physics. I like connecting the dots. I like houses. I like solving problems. So where I am really makes sense if you look back to what I enjoyed as a kid. So I don't know, like I'm not one that's like, oh, well, there must be a sun god and that's who we should pray to so that our crops grow or something like that. It's like, well, why does the sun come up? When does it come up? What can we expect? Like All the wise, Yeah. How do we actually figure out what's going on and not just put beliefs on top of all that? So building science is really sexy in that way. And then when I lost my job working for the insulation manufacturer and in sales, I became an insulation contractor, met an auditor who introduced me even more to building science because everything I'd seen before that was really what I learned through a fiberglass manufacturer, which is naturally going to have a pretty strong bias to it. So I tried to avoid that, but I didn't see a bunch of the other pieces. So I took BPI training to become a building analyst. And you come out of that feeling like you're superhuman. I can solve anything. I can fix anything. This is so cool. I can't wait to get out there. And then you talk to people and A, they think you're crazy. B, they want you to shut up and C, they don't do anything. That's a consistent theme within the home performance world, which I'm sure you can agree because you've watched it. This is not something that scales easily. It's not something that you can just do.
0: Nobody's looking for a home performance.
1: Oh yeah. Nobody's looking for that at all. Exactly. And it's like, well, I know how to do this, but there's kind of a story about it where you see ants going to something that's greatly to their peril where they're going to die and you want to tell them hey look don't go that way it's going to be bad it's going to end badly but you have no way to communicate it and that ultimately becomes the frustration that you usually feel in the home performance world because now you have this knowledge you understand the science you can recognize the patterns which that's going to be the theme here is pattern recognition but How do we actually get that out there? I've often said that knowledge unapplied is useless. We can know something and be able to really move things forward. But if only one person knows that or it's not applied at some kind of a broad human scale, the knowledge ultimately doesn't matter.
0: That's a shame. And you can prepare yourself with a lot of knowledge. But if you can't find a place to apply it, that's also a tough situation.
1: Yeah, it's frustrating. Well, you move on, which is what I've seen many, many people do through the years with home performance. You get enamored by what you can do and what you know and understand. But then you find that there's no way to apply it and there's no way to make money with it. And then you become frustrated.
0: Some companies out there that quietly incorporate these things, but I think they just maybe keep it secret or just it works for them and it's competitive advantage, perhaps.
1: Yeah. And that's one of my fundamental main struggles with the home performance world is you end up with a few people that are good at doing all of these things and they've created a little business model, but it requires their superhuman level of knowledge and expertise and their own unique set of gifts that are not replicable. So right now doing home performance work, building performance work, looking at a house from a whole house perspective largely requires a michael jordan level of talent and fundamentally you're not going to have a lot of that so it's been a couple of years actually since we talked about it It was back when it was still called home performance 2.0 about creating a mcdonald's like process so that there's a process where you can go to any mcdonald's in the world and get fundamentally the same big mac Yeah,
0: the insulation tastes the same from house to house to house.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. If I have to tell you not to eat insulation, go ahead and eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, hopefully we can avoid coffee is hot, don't spill on your crotch. So fundamentally, what's missing in this, and is some sort of a process that can be taught to people that of just normal ability, or frankly, in the HVAC world, the technical ability of an HVAC technician who routinely become the owners, is really spectacular. There's so much stuff you have to know to be a good technician. It's kind of crazy.
0: And the morph to doing home performance work is really not a huge lift. Nate wrote up a really nice (laughs) seven-page document that we're both looking at in preparation for this. He's one of the few guests that actually really prepares for this. I think he was already prepared without doing it, but he did it anyway. So thank you for doing that. One of the quotes I pulled out of it was, home performance is a drug. And my comment on that was, it's attractive concept, but hard to execute. It seems somewhat mystical. And then there's that quote from Bill Russell. Can you give us a little background
1: on that quote? Which quote in here? Why don't Adam set up the blower door in his house? Oh, yeah, with Adam. Yeah. Back to the point that I was making about HVAC technicians just being really amazing humans in a whole lot of ways. It's the technical expertise for doing home performance is really a pretty small lift. As we'll get to later, the mindset piece is actually way, way, way harder than the technical. Bill Russell's house, so curious HVAC guy of HVAC Overtime, he invited me up to run a comfort consult on his house and a team, Adam, Adam Muffich came up the same time and Adam was just really curious. I think he can out curious Bill as curious HVAC guy. Adam is this rabid learner. And so is Bill. All those guys, they're just super duper learners, always trying to understand what's going on and move forward. So Adam was afraid of the blower door before he got there. He's just like, man, these things freak me out. It just seems spooky. I don't understand it. And I put it up in front of him. And I had had it the last time in a door that was really, really big. It was the biggest that it could possibly fit in. So it was almost four foot wide and like nine foot tall. It was a huge door of a big house actually in the neighborhood I grew up in. So I got it in there. I'm like, man, this looks janky. I need to pull this out and just redo it. Because I leave my frame together with the shroud on it. And I was like, Adam, come here and just do this. And I coached him just a little bit through it, but he put the thing back up. And he finishes and he's like, is that all? like, yeah, that's all. This is not hard. Now there's the other things like make sure you clean out the fireplace or you cover the ashes so you don't suck them in and be sure that you turn off the combustion equipment so that you don't get a flame shooting 18 inches sideways, which that, no, that didn't happen to me. Oops. That was my boiler. (laughs) I came downstairs and saw flame shooting 18 inches sideways out the side of it because I had the blower door.
0: But there's analogies to that in the HVAC world already. It's like, don't believe the disconnect may not be wired improperly. Don't just pull the disconnect, check the voltage at the contactor. Don't shock your ass. It's the same kind of thing. There are some precautions. There's a process, yeah. Process that you need to learn.
1: And it's like you said earlier, it's a teachable process. So it probably should jump back to history for a little bit, because it's probably important to understand a little bit more about how I became a house whisperer. So my partner, Ted, in Rochester, New York, was testing a ton of houses with blower doors back in the oh eight, oh nine, and 10 range. And he is a kinesthetic person. So he learns by feeling and touching more so than he does either audio or visual, which makes him really good at pattern recognition that other people suck at. So like the easiest way to think of him is, you remember the character Dr. House from the show House? where he was just totally a pain and completely ignored social contract, but yet could figure out and solve problems that nobody else could touch. That's my partner, for better or for worse. So he noticed patterns in how houses were testing and how their energy use was related to their blower door and what clients were trying to solve and what was required to solve those. And he started selling jobs that were surprising to everyone else. So like his average sale was just shy of $17,000 and he had a 65% closing ratio, which I mean, in the HVAC world, especially when you consider this is 15 years ago, those are jaw-dropping numbers. 16 grand is kind of a normal HVAC system price now, but It was not 15 years ago, 13 years ago. So I was watching that with an average sale of 2,500 bucks with my insulation contracting company and thinking I'm killing myself for these jobs. This is dumb. I hate my life. My wife's pregnant. I'm going to be a horrible father if I continue on this path and I've got to change something. So the number got my attention because I'm naturally attracted to numbers. And it's not just the profitability thing. It's like, how can I not have to work so hard, but still make the same money and actually solve problems and enjoy my life more? So he had a basic process sketched out, but like everyone is telling him, well, yeah, you learned it, but there's no way you can teach it. So. He taught me (laughs) and we bumped it to where the advanced process, which is now called the comprehensive planning process in HVAC 2.0, which is maybe 1% of jobs. Like it's not going to be heavily used, but it does glue the whole system together because you can fix anything with that process. Might include tearing the house down, but you can fix anything. But in doing that, if someone went through that planning process, my closing ratio is 92% and the average job is a hair over $30,000. And we're doing pretty deep work for that. We're getting into the shell, we're doing the HVAC and so forth. But there was a fundamental problem that we found there, which is first, there's not enough money to be anything more than a one-man band doing those advanced jobs. It's too much money added on top to have a large market for it. And then the second problem is there's almost no one that can learn to do that. It's too heavy of a lift there's too much to learn. There's too much risk that you're taking on. Again, we had to a large degree created another Michael Jordan problem. So it may not have been Michael Jordan's like, now you just have to be an NBA player. So now we have 400 times the number of people that can do it. But if we're going to make healthy and comfortable homes available to anyone, we are still very wide of the mark. And then I also learned that because in pattern recognition, if you read my book, The Home Comfort Book, it's fundamentally a book about pattern recognition. So here's the physics of how things work, which is looking for patterns. Here's the different things that HVAC systems should do, the six functions of HVAC, which has now become badass HVAC or nearly perfect HVAC. So everything in there is pattern recognition. So I wrote that in the hopes that I could help homeowners understand how to do this, but that obviously wasn't a scalable thing either.
0: Yeah, it's where do you find customers. I mean, you talked about all these great jobs, but how do you find customers
1: or where do you find them? Where do they lurk? What are the patterns of customers? There's three things in the customers for these advanced jobs. So the biggest thing is they have a house with problems big enough to go do enough internet research to find me. So, I mean, I was kind of like the A-team, like if you can find them and if you can hire them. You have a big <laughs> van with several other people inside it? I love that van, man. That van's from the early 80s, and it still looks cool as hell. That is a great van.
0: You're a car guy, too. We could delve into that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm definitely a car guy, but that van still looks cool. So I don't have BA. That would be nice. Anyway, people have to have a problem big enough to seek you out. They need to be planning to live someplace basically permanently because these are expensive projects which really have no payback, which is another big reason that we think home performance hasn't scaled. If you're truly honest about paybacks on these projects, because we were modeling them as accurately as we could, the paybacks ran between 50 and 500 years.
0: That's monetary payback.
1: Monetary payback, but- Because there's other forms of payback. Well, that's non-energy benefits. And it's a bitch too. Wait, no, that's the other one. No. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to the non-energy benefits because that's a lot of what ends up doing this. We are bouncing around, but I think you're okay with this. We're getting there. So large problems, planning to live there for a long time, and then they need to have access to the money to do the work. And if you don't have those three, you don't have one of these big projects. One of the things that we were wondering is, okay, so can other people do this? And the answer is yes. So now a number of other people have sold these big projects. And John Esquivel down in Austin, its the first one he did, he sold a $68,000 job. Two HVAC systems, aero barrier, which we weren't really that impressed with, a bunch of spray foam, bath fans, just a whole bunch of different things that were in there. So 3,000 square foot house, so decent sized house, but not ginormous. And- he sold a $68,000 job. And my record at that point was 70. And I'm like, dude, you can't kill me. First one out of the gate. Stop doing this. Give me a minute here. Let me breathe. I need to go see if I can get another job. Holy cow. But we've seen repeatedly that that advanced process is indeed as effective as what I was seeing as well. But if you take a hundred homes, probably only one of them is going to be a good candidate for that. Realistically. And this was an extremely frustrating pattern to recognize, which is, like we were talking earlier, it's a bit crass, apologies, but I can't think of a better analogy for it yet. And it's, this is the HVAC world, so it'll be fine. But think of Freud coming up with like the whole Oedipal thing, where he's like, how come all my clients want to screw their mom? What's going on here? It's like you are only dealing with a really messed up portion, a very small portion of the population.
0: Those are the people who seek you out.
1: Yeah, they're the ones that find you. So the houses that found us were really, really screwed up and they had motivated clients. So we're like, boy, look at all these screwed up houses. There's screwed up houses everywhere. What's going on? Then we start teaching HVAC contractors how to do comfort consults, which is the first part of the advanced process. It's a blower door test, a good interview. There's a nice report that comes out of it. But fundamentally, you're trying to figure out, is HVAC alone likely to solve the problems that the client's are bringing to you or substantially solve them? And the answer way more than we would have expected was yes. So what we're seeing is if 100 houses come in, 70 of them just get like a traditional free quote. And I am talking, this is HVAC leads coming into an HVAC contractor, replacement leads. So if there's 100 replacement leads, 70 end up going to free quotes and getting basically a like for like change out. Because for free, you should be very limited in what you give. And then the other 30 go for a comfort consult something like 28 or 29 of those 30, just by a nice piece of HVAC. And what we're seeing there is the average project is right around 20,000, 19, 22, depending on which one of the guys you're talking to. And they're seeing 60 to 70% closing ratios short term, a couple of weeks or a month. And over a year, it's going to 80 or 90%. Yeah,
0: that's what I've noticed because I'm part of the HVAC 2.0 group. I'm more of a lurker. You've
1: been watching the Slack. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And just seeing the conversations, and it's see a lot of people saying, geez, it's been a year, two years, three years since I gave that quote. And now they're coming back around. So it's keep yourself busy with a process. And the process includes this customer acquisition process, as well as the management process and then the execution process. Exactly. It's McDonald's. Yeah. The French friars got the little buzzers on them telling them exactly to the second when they're done. Yeah. Can you give us an idea of what's been the uptake of this concept? Beyond the finding customers, are you finding contractors who are getting this?
1: You've mentioned a couple already. Frankly, that's been a bigger challenge than we were thinking it might be, because there's a big chunk of the process that we give here. As far as the comfort consults, and there's literally a script you follow. So we say for the comfort consult, there's three things that you need to have. You need to be halfway decent with other human beings. You need to be able to follow a script, and you need to be able to run a blower door. And with these guys generally being technical and predominantly guys, it is not a hard lift for people to run and do the consult. Now, the report afterwards requires considerably more thought and understanding. But doing the basic process itself at the house is actually pretty easy. But the hard part is selling that process without selling that process because you don't want to twist arms. You don't want to coerce clients into this. So it was the last episode we came up with the phrase responsibly avoid responsibility. And that's really important. So you need to be able to offer client's options, let them know what the ramifications are of the choices and what the costs are of the choices, and then step back and let them decide. So we view it like a choose your own adventure, only instead of having no idea what's going to happen when you choose the path for your character, if you're going to die at the end, you've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. And you can apprise your clients of what those risks and rewards are.
0: And you talk a little bit in the overview gave me beforehand about treating clients like adults and not like children. And I think that hero aspect that you talked about too, we haven't touched on it yet, but the hero aspect makes you want to look down on people perhaps that first can be off-putting and second can push somebody into a situation where they either decide not to do it or they rely on you too much.
1: Yeah. They just flop over on you. You're a dad many times over. So you remember little kids, they're like, oh, dad's around. Physics don't exist. Blah. And they go and fall and you're like, oh, geez, and you got to go catch them. Clients will do that to us. So the issue that we've had, and again, pattern recognition through all of this. So here's the common problems on houses, the commonalities in clients. And then what are the commonalities of being able to offer this to anyone? Realizing that HVAC contractors are the path to this, there's no other way that's viable because you can't create a new business vertical to do this. It needs to fit into an existing one. So that was a pattern that we recognized. And then realizing that houses weren't as screwed up as we thought. So we're, we've we got this process for screwed up houses. And then we figure out that a lot of houses aren't screwed up or they're not screwed up enough to do this advanced path. And then HVAC alone is likely to solve a whole lot of problems on its own, which was a surprise to us as well, because I come from the insulation and air sealing side, the shell side. I don't come from HVAC. This is accidental being here. And now we recognize that we have to give contractors a way to responsibly avoid responsibility and help people understand they can do a free quote, which involves no free consulting. Very important. As soon as you start telling people what to do, who owns the results of that? You, the advisor. So if you are giving free consulting and telling people what to do, you are irresponsibly owning responsibility. Is if you aren't getting paid to take responsibility and given control over outcomes, don't take responsibility. You can't because otherwise you're breaking the serenity prayer. What is it? Help me be okay with what I can't change and change what I can and to know the difference. And fundamentally, the only thing you have control over is yourself. So if a client gives you responsibility for something that you can't control, the odds of things ending badly are pretty high. And I think all of us have had those experiences. I know I have, like actually when I gained weight again, this was five or six years ago, like I'd managed to keep a bunch of weight off for a long time. And I had a client, big house on a lake, on Lake Erie. And I let him take something that wasn't part of the process. So I was like, well, okay, let's try hourly consulting and see what happens. And he comes back and he asks me a whole bunch of questions that would have been figured out through the comprehensive planning process, but weren't for what he paid me to do. And he's like, well, but now you need to deal with this. And I'm like, that wasn't part of the deal, but I didn't know to push back. Then I got a two-week time frame to do this very substantial project on the house that really needed three weeks to do. And I stress ate like crazy. I gained 10 pounds in two weeks because I had irresponsibly taken responsibility. So like all the things that are in this, the pattern recognition, all of the pieces of the process, they're in there probably because either I made the mistake Ted made the mistake or someone else that we know made the mistake. So, like all the questions in the comfort consult, there's an hour's worth of questions. Every question is in there because one of us got bit.
0: I'll be honest, I'm understanding better the strictness necessary in the process. And I'm going to give you, after reading your notes here, I'll give you my reaction to it. The process is sacred. If you go off the path, it's risky. You can lose money. You can lose customers. You can lose faith in using home performance techniques to help solve problems and therefore become a naysayer. So the strictness of the profit is like ripping off the Band-Aid real quick. If this isn't for you, it's not for you, it's probably not gonna be for you. Yes. It's a filter following your process.
1: Yeah. So here's another way to look at it too, because yeah, a lot of people find the process is sacred to be offensive and it's not meant to be. But uh, if you set an outdoor unit and you don't hook anything up, and you put your face in front of the refrigerant line, and you open it up, what's going to happen? It's going to be bad. So in a whole lot of mechanical things, there are fast, immediate, and extremely painful consequences to doing things in the wrong order. In sales, there aren't. You just don't get the sale and you don't understand. Or it takes a while, something doesn't work, the client bounces back and blames you. But like the feedback loops aren't seconds or minutes. The feedback loops are weeks and months or years. So the reason that the process is sacred is so important it's just you're trying to stay on the path in the right order. It's the sales and marketing equivalent of don't release the refrigerant into the system until you've brazed everything together with nitrogen and you've pressure tested it and you've made sure that everything's okay and the equipment's hooked up to the power and all that stuff. You don't do that until the system's ready to go. That's fundamentally what this is and that's it's an easy misunderstanding to have. It's not meant to be religious. It's meant to be, how do you avoid getting kicked in the butt?
0: Right. It's a journey you've been on with other people for a long time. You've taken notes. You know what works, what doesn't work. You're not saying there isn't a possible other path out there, but this is a path that you have total faith in because of your experience, your life experience, and that of others that have worked with you and the effort you put into it. I want to talk a little bit about the effort you put into so many different things. And I just started to think of this here as we're writing. You wrote the home comfort book. Why did you do that?
1: My problem with all the stuff that was out there is it was all 301, 401, 501. So it was really hard to jump into. I liken it to going into a church that you're just not familiar with. Like I've been to a few Catholic weddings and I'm not Catholic. So the whole sit up uh, or sit down, stand up meal, the gymnastics. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it messes with you. So like it's off-putting and confusing, and you're looking around, am I doing this right? You're feeling like a child because you don't know the conventions. So I found that really frustrating that there was no on-ramp to building science and home performance. So I wrote it to be that, and homeowners greatly appreciated it, and a number of them did use it to upgrade their homes and did so successfully. So periodically, I get an email, hey, just wanted to tell you, thank you. Your book helped me understand what to do, and I did it. But then what we also learned was it's exactly at the level of HVAC contractors. On the
0: topic of home performance.
1: On the topic of home performance, because all HVAC contractors, basically all of them, don't have a great deal of understanding on the building science side. They tend to be extremely good mechanics, which is that's the amazing part. Like You can go up to any house Look at the cockamamie system that that house has, how things are arranged. like It's the same basic thing, but everyone is a slightly different configuration with different holes and problems in the system. You have to diagnose it quickly, figure out which part you have to change, hope you have that part on your truck or go order it, get it changed out, charge the client and move on. And you do that like three, four, five, six times a day. It's incredible the amount of knowledge and understanding it takes to do that. So fundamentally good technicians, but oftentimes not the best engineers because it's difficult to spend your day looking at the bark of the tree and then back up and look at the forest. So the book basically gave HVAC contractors a way to back up, look at the forest and begin to understand how HVAC operation relates to the operation of the house as a whole. How long did it take you to write that? About two years. Two years. And it's gorgeously illustrated. Who did that? The technical illustrations are basically all my wife, and she designed it. So Rachel did an amazing job on all that. And then the cartoons in it are from a guy named Aleef in Indonesia, who did just a lovely job with that.
0: And you've been very generous to the public with the free chapters. And for anybody who doesn't know, why don't you explain how that book is delivered?
1: Oh, sure. So the book, it has six chapters, and two of them I held back. My general rule of thumb is if it's a concept, I'll give it to you for free. If it's application, I need to charge for it because I need to make a living of some sort. That book hasn't been that great as far as living, but (laughs) four of the six chapters are available for free at natethehousewhisperer.com, and you can just go download it. And that includes Home Performance 101 and HVAC 101, which those are the two foundational pieces to understanding how houses work physics-wise as a whole. And then you can also buy it as a hard copy. The hard copy is really pretty. It's a very nice printed book, so it's Amazon. You can get that at like a coffee table book, pretty much, or True Tech Tools. But it's printed by Amazon, so either way.
0: I'm going to redirect you again towards something else you've done that's very generous and thought provoking: is electrify everything, and the content you produced out of that. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, to me, electrification is inevitable and extremely obvious. And that actually comes from the pattern recognition that's Ted. So he was telling me in 2012, like, buy Tesla, buy Tesla, buy Tesla. This is 10 years ago. Hardly anybody knew what Tesla was. I mean, that's when the Model S was hitting the ground. It had just come out. But it's the basics of it are super obvious, and it's hyper-politicized right now. Understand, I'm talking about this from an economic perspective, not a political one, because I can speak to either political side, frankly, on this. But fundamentally, there are experience curves. So when there's a new technology that comes out, if it's brand new, over time, the price of that technology falls pretty quickly. So the Wright's law is 20% reduction in price for every doubling in production. And it follows a bunch of things. So there were a number of people that saw that renewable energy through solar and wind was going to be the least cost way to make energy at some point. And at some point was basically last year and the year before. So it's happened. And that was versus frack gas. So, like very inexpensively harvested natural gas, which was, we had a decade of just super duper cheap prices. And that's over at this point. But if you look at that, you realize that renewable energy is the least expensive form of energy that mankind has known ever. And it just became that in the last couple of years. So, the economics of it are inevitable. There's a whole lot of technological challenges still. I follow all this stuff pretty closely on Energy Twitter, where I'm well known as like one of the few boots on the ground people. So it's lots of ivory tower, and then they don't know what the hell to do with me half the time, because I'm coarse oftentimes, but it needs to happen. Everybody's pulling in one direction, I'm trying to pull them back. But because of that, I know a lot of people. So Dr. Chris Clack of Vibrant Clean Energy modeled the hardest grid, I think, in the country to electrify, which is Minnesota. Cause that's the coldest state that we have in the country with any reasonable amount of population. St. Paul and Minneapolis, that's a really, really hard city to do. And he found that the grid needed to be 1.57x the size that it is now, so about 60% larger, and flow 2.26x as much power to fully decarbonize. So that's houses, that's vehicles, that's industrial processes, everything. That's something that's doable. So it's cheaper. And it's technically possible if difficult. So when you look at it, it's just like, well, this is where we're going to go. And it makes sense. It's clean. It leads to clean air and clean water, much more so than we have now. It's better experiences with all the products now. Electric cars are really an amazing experience. We still have a few struggles with interstate travel. Teslas don't. The other ones do. But that's getting better quick. Heat pumps provide far better comfort with done right than furnaces can because they're better at matching read, mean reading things like that.
0: Done right's critical there. Done
1: right, yeah. They're more finicky. You can really screw up a furnace install and still have it work where you have to be pretty cautious screwing up a heat pump install, which is also built into the 2.0 process, like making sure that you're warning clients of what's going on. But anyway, electrification, it's just inevitable from a economic standpoint. It's basically a matter of what speed is it going to be.
0: Yeah. Russ King posted something on Facebook the other day and said, we need to stop kicking the can down the road. There'll be growing pains, like switching from anything old to new. We will have to do it eventually. And you're going to recognize it now, recognize it later. It's just going to happen. And it's economic drivers, like you mentioned.
1: Yeah. So fundamentally, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And there's a lot of things that we have to get used to. But the other thing that came out of electrification, like how my partner figured it out on his side was he sold his mom a hybrid and this was an old carrier infinity back when i think it was still a two-stage because this was oh nine or ten so the green speed wasn't out yet and his mom called him on a five degree day in rochester and her house was i don't know 2,500 3,000 square feet something like that it had a three-ton heat pump on top of a 60k mod furnace So fairly standard system. If you put a gun to my head of what to put in a house, I'm going to tell you a three-ton heat pump on top of a 60K mod furnace because that'll work in like 95% of homes. It's amazing the broad swath that'll handle.
0: It's a pattern you recognize apparently.
1: Yes. Yeah, very much a pattern. (laughs) But she called him and said, Teddy, I don't know what's going on. The house is warm, but the air coming out of the vents is cold. And he's like, son of a gun. They didn't turn on the gas valve. The thing was running on the heat pump only. And he's like, why do we even need the furnace? This is stupid. Like it costs $25 a month to have that meter or $15 a month to have that meter. Why are we even bothering? That was the first step. And then as you start doing load calcs, which I'm well known for aggressive sizing is as you start doing load calcs and seeing what houses actually need, you're going to be shocked how many houses the appropriate piece of equipment is a two or a three ton heat pump, like almost regardless of where you are in the country. So, there's an inevitable push towards electrification. But then also, when you use right sized equipment, you're constantly washing the surfaces and the materials in the house with a slightly warmed or a slightly cooled stream of air. And your house that you're sitting in, you have a two ton heat pump in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and that's not a small house.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's the thermal battery is what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, can be. Yep. Of the
0: materials of construction. And that's where. You need to think, pun intended, out of the box when you install HVAC equipment. It's sitting in another box. So it's like nesting dolls. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is.
1: And it's all. So going back to pattern recognition, one of the hardest things to do as you learn home performance is remembering to zoom in and zoom out and zoom in and zoom out. So like Elon Musk talks about this as first principles thinking. You go to the end and you come back and you work it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until you find where most of the snags are. And some of it you're only going to find by treading that path. You just are. I mean, that's what we've been doing. Like how do we make comfortable, healthy homes available to anyone who wants one?
0: You just don't launch rockets that blow up like Musk does. But that's okay. You got to do that.
1: What is that? uh, Unscheduled rapid disassembly?
0: Disassembly, (laughs) yes. (laughs)
1: I love how he said that. He's like, so either it'll make it to the space or it'll blow up. Either way, entertainment guaranteed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah this isn't quite as fun or as expensive, thankfully, as yeah. launching a rocket that may or may not explode. But being able to zoom in and out on a problem is super important. And we're building the last, hopefully, major piece of HVAC 2.0 right now, which is the free quote process, which solves the problem of how do you give every single client. The option of, do they want a free quote, which is a a like-for-like replacement? We'll give you a swath of options. Here's different equipment types. And then here's different ways of installing. Do you want fresh air? Do you want the good filter? Do you want the dehumidifier? All those things. But fundamentally, it's a like-for-like replacement. So do they want that path? Or do they have problems that they want to solve? So by doing a good job of that, they can basically zoom in and zoom out on that house. So, if it's a simple replacement, give them a bid, go do the work, take the money, feed the family, move on. And then, if you do a good job of educating them on what the ramifications are of the different types of equipment and different types of install, if they call you later and be like, Boy, it's 50 degrees out and my house is really cold, I'm like, Well, you opted for the oversized furnace with an air conditioner, not a heat pump. So, you have 100,000 BTUs or nothing. So, I liken it to if you want to get clean, you have the option of either a 10-gallon bucket of hot water or a 5-minute shower at 2 gallons a minute. So either way it's the same amount of heat and energy. But if you have an oversized piece of equipment, it's like the ice bucket challenge only with hot water. And if you choose a right-sized variable speed piece of equipment, you get that nice gentle shower.
0: The free quilt process, it's you can become a part-time evangelist.
1: <laughs> that is about it, but it, it gives a process and that's like it's not done yet. But what I'm really excited to see is I think it's going to drive up, I don't know if it's going to drive up closing ratios, like I think marginal maybe, maybe a 5% bump, 10% bump. But I do think it's going to drive ticket sizes up a lot. So it'll be interesting to see that. And
0: there's something to be said just for engagement with customers, getting your name out there as a business, getting your name passed along from customers, even if they got the free quote from you. Who did you use? That happens a lot on neighborhood groups, a lot. Totally.
1: Yeah. And if you give them a different experience, actually, let's jump back to the guide, not hero. Well, we haven't really covered that yet. There's a, a different way of putting it. There's a great book that I highly recommend reading, even though it's marketing based. So if you're a technician, sorry, read it anyway, because it can be important to understand. There are four fundamental characters in every story. You have the villain, the victim, the hero, and the guide. And clients will oftentimes end up playing the victim or feeling like the victim because their furnace just died. It's cold outside. They're freaked out that their pipes are going to freeze. They are not in an adult state. So they look to you to become the hero and basically accept the responsibility of solving the problem. Oftentimes when you don't have the control and you're not getting paid enough to truly solve the problem, like you don't know if they've got other things to solve except for their equipment's broke. So you don't want the client to ever feel like the victim. But if you become the hero, you're taking all the responsibility. And that basically leaves, if you are the hero in the story, then the client is either the guide, the villain, or the victim. So instead, we need to seek to make our clients the hero, which generally puts us, well, the only other one you want to be is the guide. So you want to guide them into the right decision, but let them make the decision. Like Obi-Wan taught Luke the force and how to fight and use a lightsaber and how to think to a degree. But it was Luke that had to actually make the decisions in the moments of what to do.
0: For some reason, the TV show Lost comes to mind. Okay. What part? And I'm not sure. It's, I'm trying to think of the names of the characters and who were the heroes and the guides and that. But there definitely were. And every, everyone was a victim. You did not mention the name of the book, which you picked this
1: up from. Oh, yeah. So it's Donald Miller, and it's Building a Story Brand Okay, by Donald Miller.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that in the write-up here.
1: Yeah, in the write-up. I highly recommend that because you have to learn how to stay the guide, even as homeowners push you to become the hero. So like the story of that big house on the lake, I got pushed into being the hero. And it wasn't good because in time I became the victim <laughs> in it as well. So it's, you have to think about how you're setting things up. And there's another way to look at it as well that comes out of Sandler. There's a parent adult child. And it's also, you can look at it as a ego, super ego, and id, if you want to look at it that way from a psychology perspective. But fundamentally, all of us have three modes that we switch between all the time. You can't get rid of any of these. You can only try to stay in one more than the other, but you're never going to get rid of it. It's part of your nature we can be either the parents and we can either be nurturing. Oh, good job. Look at you. So proud of you. Or the critical parents, what the hell's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? That sort of thing. And the flip side to the parent is the child. So you can either be the rebellious child, which is going to come when your parent says, what the hell's wrong with you? Screw you and they're not going to listen to you. Or the compliant child. Yes, dad, happy to do that. But The other really important piece is the adult or like the superego. So that's where you're more logic based and most importantly, you're equal equal in a relationship. So parent child is superior inferior. That's just out of necessity. That's how it works. And if you kick a client into either parent or child, it's going to be a struggle to work with them in one way or another. If you can keep them in adult, By carefully educating them, which you can do in an automatic fashion, I've got a lot of content for helping educate and I'm working on more. If you can help them understand what their choices are, what the ramifications are, what the prices are of these different paths forward, and let them choose, they now own a great deal of the responsibility for those results. So you just responsibly avoided responsibility. So it's not that you're casting it off in a mean way or in a coercive way. You're treating them as an adult. Look, so we can do this, this, or this. Here's what's going to happen either way. Here's what they're going to cost. What would you prefer? And then you let them choose. And now it's amazing when you put the weight back on clients for the results how they tend to choose better stuff. <laughs> so now instead of the single stage, they go for the two stage. And now instead of the air conditioner, they go for the heat pump. Because
0: you explained it well to them.
1: Yeah. Then they also see the value in going up. So it's not, well, here's four different pieces of equipment. I can't tell what the difference is between them, except for this one's 6,000 more.
0: I think from different things I've seen over the years, the parent-child inequity in this kind of business relationship, it's like the parent-child thing is the contractor looks down on the customer. I know what's good for you. And on the flip side, the engineer customer looks down on the contractor. Boy, does that make friction. (laughs) Wow.
1: Yes, it does. But you know what? I actually love my engineer clients the most in many cases. In fact, one of them is here right now, staying in one of our Airbnbs, about to jump off the bridge here tomorrow. So he's here for bridge day. This is a new river gorge bridge. It was finished the third Saturday of October in 1977. So they shut it down on the third Saturday of October every year and people jump off of it, base jumping. So he's like, yeah, I'll get at least two jumps in hopefully. And the most I can really do is six, but he's an engineer. And he electrified his house because we very carefully educated him on what the options were. And it was funny. He's like, well, I've got this budget. This is all I'm going to spend. What do you want to do? And we go through and he checks every single box of what I had suggested. And I'm like, this doesn't fit your budget, Peter. <laughs> and he's like, well, let's get bids. And he got really lucky. And the bids actually came in where he got what he wanted within the budget. But I was expecting it to be six or $7,000 extra. And both contractors, I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, I'm speak now or forever, hold your peace. But because we treat the engineers as adults and we give them the choices to make, they actually aren't that hard to work with.
0: And so you've served the curiosity of people from Home Comfort, the curiosity and perhaps necessity with the Home Comfort book, the electrification. You do have a series of videos if people are interested in that, is that correct?
1: Yeah, there's a course, it's the Electrify Everything course. I wrote that really with a California policy wonk in mind, because I know a lot of them. But yeah, if you go to the Nate the House Whisperer YouTube channel, there's a whole series of videos on that. To that end, as contractors, it's really scary downsizing things at first. So if you have any curiosity at all about electrification and it's coming, so you might as well get ahead of it. Now with the IRA, there's going to be at least some money. We'll see how easy it is to access. I've got a lot of question marks on that. Some things I'm seeing look good. Some things I don't know, but it's coming. But the easiest way to begin to get comfortable with it is to understand just how oversized HVAC is. So the easiest way is buy an Echobee and put it in in your own house. And watch what your runtime is on a very cold and a very hot day. And then if you can borrow a blower door, try one of those out and see how leaky the house is and which rooms leak more than others. And very quickly, you'll understand that you don't need to be as fearful. But if you're doing this for clients and you want to downsize their equipment, you do need to know some things before you want to take the risk which is why the comfort consult is what it is. We collect past energy bills. Energy bills are a very good indicator of what size is needed if you know how to read them. Blower door reduces risk a great deal. If it's a really leaky house, its peak load can be really, really high. Like in watching energy bills, same winter, a loose house will see its gas usage go up 40%, and a tight house will see 15 And most of that usage is on the really cold days. So it means that if that tight house has a three-ton load, when the loose house under kind of normal circumstances might be a five-ton, it might be eight, nine, ten tons when it's a really cold day below zero. So you need to understand that to reduce the risk of sizing. But if you understand what's going on with the house, you can size tightly. And if HVAC alone is enough to either substantially reduce or to solve the problems that they have in the house, you're done. So at a minimum, you can do hybrids. Because a hybrid is pretty much always an option if you have a forced air system. And then oftentimes you'll find like what Ted did at his mom's house. Well, this is stupid. The furnace wasn't even needed to heat the house on a design day. Yeah.
0: You did just mention really quickly, you connected through Twitter with some policy wonks. You did help write a policy paper. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. It was something that ended up being in policy.
1: Yeah. It's funny for a guy who is known for being anti-policy. I've been involved in a lot of it. So there's actually there's one thing I just sent out today on international heat pump policy recommendations. But the piece that I think you're referring to is the hybrid heat homes program. Yes. So I'm personally a fiscal conservative. I like to spend money well, if we're going to spend it. And the IRA does annoy me because it's an expensive way to do a lot of the stuff that they're trying to do there. But the hybrid heat homes program was basically stop making one-way air conditioners. And we coined the term one way because people don't understand that, but they can only cool. And turn them all into two-way heat pumps because a heat pump can cool and heat. But Oftentimes people hear heat pumps like, well, you're taking my air conditioner away. No, we're not taking it away. We're just giving you heat too. Now you have reverse gear where previously you didn't, and you had to push the car backwards out of the parking spot. Now you just have a heat pump. And what that would end up doing is turning every system into a hybrid. So if you had propane or gas furnace or oil furnace underneath, it would still be a hybrid. And that's relatively inexpensive because it looks like it's something like ballpark 150 bucks in parts difference for the defrost board and the reversing valve. And there's one other part, Eric Kaiser will surely correct me I don't know what the third one is, but it's a pretty small cost difference between those two. So we suggested giving manufacturers $400 per unit to stop making air conditioners and only make heat pumps and then ramp it down over time. So on the electrification front, that would help. And for years, people are looking at us like, why are you doing this? Gas is cheap. And I'm like, I wrote an article in 2012 that said, look, we're about to start exporting natural gas. We're going to be connected to world prices. If anything happens, our prices are going to go up because we can actually get our gas out of the country where we couldn't at that point. And then Russia in 2014 annexed Crimea and they created some weird price fluctuations. And now we're seeing it with Ukraine and then the one-upsmanship with Europe, where Europe's not going to get natural gas from Russia this winter. So because we're connected to world natural gas prices, we're seeing substantial increases in it And it's like, look, we can see this coming. This is coming. It's just like, when is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? I don't know. But there's all these risk factors that are obvious. So that was 2014. I wrote, all that has to happen is Russia do something crazy again, and our natural gas prices go high. And that's what we've seen. So if you sell a heat pump now to people, it's increasing their choice because now they have two different ways to heat their house. So on the cold days, if it's a leaky house, no, the heat pump's not going to do it, but that's fine. They have gas backup or propane backup, whatever. But for the majority of the year, if they have a heat pump, that will cover the load and it will likely be more comfortable as well. Just turn your airflow down so that you don't have 85 degree air coming out of the vents.
0: And that, the way I understand it, the real basic level, it was connecting to the world market on gas. And that was a business decision made by producers to connect. So there's nothing political. I mean, there might've been political permits and things like that or things that go through governments, but it was a business decision to connect with world markets.
1: Exactly. it's uh, World natural gas prices have consistently been between five and 20 times what we pay in the US.
0: We had it nice. Had is the operative word there.
1: Yeah. It's still a pretty big bump though. Europe's going to be ugly and actually we are now stuck paying it like the northeast I didn't realize this until I talked to someone at a utility in the northeast New England gets most of their natural gas for home heating through these ships so it doesn't come through a pipeline they're extremely pipeline constrained so they have to get it in ships and store it so now they're competing with world prices cuz like if you own a ship full of natural gas are you going to sell it at a dollar to New England or five bucks in England or Europe or Asia. Even when you include the shipping costs, it's still a way better deal to go elsewhere. So New England's gonna see really high heating prices this winter because of that. Where the rest of us, if we're connected to lower cost natural gas through pipelines, we're still gonna see our prices go up, but not quite as extreme. But the odds of the cheap natural gas coming back that we've been used to for the last decade Are essentially zero because now we're on world market prices, which is actually, that's another thing. Renewables, it's extremely difficult to connect the entire country or between countries. Like going across the ocean is no joke. So we can connect Mexico and Canada and I guess South America to a degree. But the odds of us connecting to Europe aren't super high because it's really difficult and expensive to do. So
0: the continents are isolated. With renewables.
1: Yes. Or or electricity. Yep. Which generally should have a moderating price effect, a moderating effect on the prices of electricity. And the other nice thing is, do you know anybody in this conversation that has solar at their house? Yeah, I do. One person. Yeah, that's right.
0: Actually, I see sun glinting off of some surface onto your face, so you do
1: have solar. (laughs) Yeah, that's just a table. (laughs) But solar panels are a natural limiter on electricity prices. And the ballpark is 13 to 15 cents a kilowatt hour. If you're going to live someplace for five, eight, 10 years, it probably makes sense to buy solar. And then that will cap your electricity prices for a lot of your usage. So where if gas and oil prices go up, I'm from Ohio. So yes, like I see wells and backyards, but it's few and far between. Most of the country doesn't have access to shale gas. So if oil and gas prices go up, guess what? You're paying it. You have zero control. There's nothing you can do. But with electricity, there is a natural price limiter, which is you can buy solar panels and batteries and moderate your costs. So that's going to act as a natural price cap over time.
0: We could talk for a long time.
1: Oh, I'm going
0: to ask you one more question, and then I'm going to give the listeners back their ears. Where do you see this going, HVAC 2.0?
1: The goal of it is to make it a business model that is so good compared to business as usual, that it takes over, like kudzu on a mountainside. That's what we're beginning to see. Let me ask you a question. Sure. If you could do 120% more sales, with the same amount of marketing and lead volume that you have now, would that be worth a few hundred dollars a month to you? Sure. That's what we're seeing within the HVAC 2.0 network, as small as it is right now.
0: But you got to have faith. That's the thing. You do. You have to have faith in the process.
1: Yeah, you have to have faith in the process and you need to use the process.
0: Yes. It, but you have documented performance with the process too. You do a lot of new data collection. So if people believe your data, it's not like you're saying just have faith and
1: no. The hardest part is making that transition to the guide and stopping being the hero. All the technical stuff that's involved behind this is not that hard. So again, It's pattern recognition. You get the blow order up and you ask your client some questions and you're going to fairly quickly understand what the likely paths are for that house forward. And if they don't have enough comfort issues to even justify doing a comfort consult, then you just change the equipment. But again, you're giving them educated options. So fundamentally, what we're trying to do is you've gone bowling with your kids. You know how they pull the bumpers up yep, so that you can't gutter ball anymore. So you may not hit much, but you're going to hit something. So basically the software for HVAC 2.0 is those bumpers. So we view it as a software-backed sales process. So as far as the process is sacred, it's also a guild because there's a bunch of us that work together to help each other solve problems because this is when you first dive into all these things, it's confusing and a lot to pick up. So even though technically it's not that hard, there's still a bunch of nuance like anything. And then it's an ethos. It's a different way of looking at the world compared to what you normally see. The ethos is the hardest piece of those. It's switching how your mind works to a degree.
0: Great. Thank you so much. And links for people to connect to learn more about all these things. I could probably grab them or maybe you could- I'll send you a couple too. Shoot me some and I'll put them in the show notes.
1: If you want to see the house whispering, go to energysmartohio.com Basically, that practice is defunct at this point, but I'll keep the website up for a good while. And you can see what these advanced projects look like. com. you can read the book. hvac 20com you can begin to get your head around it. Although to be frank, the website kind of sucks right now because that's not our focus. Our focus is on filling in the free quote piece so that it's much easier to use the process.
0: You're still in a building stage. You have evidence, you have activity, you have success, but you're still building.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's not complete yet. But the odds are end of the year or very early next year, we will have all of the free quote stuff in place, and then it's going to get really easy to use. And there's two primary users I should mention. So if you are a technician owner who loves to do things right and hate selling, this is for you because if ever you feel like you're selling, you're doing it wrong using 2.0. And the other group that we're finding we're really helpful for are salespeople at a larger company. This is a tool you can use just for your own work. And you can substantially improve your compensation. Like you can double your compensation. Like that's a consistent number that we're seeing with the same number of leads. Excellent.
0: I look forward to having you back again for another update in the next year or so.
1: That'll be great. I look forward to it too. Thank you, Nate.
0: Thanks, Bill. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where I had... My friend Nate Adams, back on again. I think it's the third time, maybe the fourth time he's been on the podcast. This is episode 97. So he's been a, call it a frequent flyer of the program. If you're interested in becoming more connected with the Building HVAC Science Podcast, you can drop me an email, bill at truetechtools.com, or you can visit our Facebook page, Some of the topics we discuss require technical training for proper interpretation and or safe execution. So if you're a trained pro, you can go ahead. But if you're not, please consult with and hire a trained pro. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. Until next time, take care.